Songs are memories, music is therapy. Hello and welcome to another episode of You, Me, the 80s and the 90s. As always, I'm Wayne Sunks. And I'm Emma Louise. Emma, well, we had some dramas with microphones, <laughs> didn't we? That was a good half an hour. Lucky I'm a genius uh, sound audio whiz and fixed everything. <laughs> yep. What would have taken an actual professional about 30 seconds to fix? Yeah, took me about 30 minutes, but that's okay. We got here in the end. We're here. There yes, we go. Um, you did say you want to wind at 10am, but that's okay. <laughs> I held off though. Yep. I am not. <laughs> progress, people. Progress. <laughs> All right. Well, this time we are looking at 1995 and I picked 1995 before I looked and we have done so many of these songs. So it was I, I had to really work from different weeks to, to pile oh. together a top five, but I think I've done a good job. Yeah, I think so. So let's take a look. Actually, a lot of Australians in the top five this week. There are. Uh, so let's start off at number five with Nick Cave and Kylie Minogue. Where the wild roses grow. They call me the wild rose. My name was Eliza Day. Why they call me that I do not know. For my name was Eliza Day. The song reached two in Australia, eleven in the UK, and one in Croatia and Israel. Ooh, Croatia and Israel. Yeah, good on them. Okay. It's a beautiful song. It is one of the most bizarre pairings (laughs) ever, but it works. Yes, yes. It does work. And it's bizarre to read that he was actually obsessed with Kylie for a little while. Like he wrote this song with her in mind. Um, saying that, you know, he'd wanted to write a song for her for many years. He had a quiet obsession with her for about six years, he said. Um, and apparently her management weren't too happy about it, though. And I, I understand that. And and it, it was a very interesting time in Kylie's journey. And mm. I think it all happened around this time because she grew very unhappy with Stockache and Waterman by the end. Yeah. She wasn't happy about making this overly pop-produced music. And, you know, I'm glad that she went back and embraced pop, but she went back and embraced pop on her terms. Yeah. And I think as much as I love Stock Aiken and Waterman, like my love for them is, is is known. Yeah. But I don't think they were always good at, at working with artists or with compromise. Absolutely. I think it was their way or the highway. Yeah. They were good at making hits. Yeah. And I think she was smart in that respect. Like she got out when she did and she pursued what she wanted to pursue because yeah. otherwise – you could have just stayed maybe making another album, maybe two of their hits, then that kind of music dies out and that's the end of your career. Yes, you've made some money, you know. And so many people did think that her career was over. And while she was doing different things, like the the indie stuff that she did in the 90s, we loved here in Australia, but it didn't go anywhere near as well in in the UK, which at that stage was her biggest market. They overtook us as her biggest market. So it wasn't until she went back to full-on pop that the UK really embraced her again. When was that then? Was that closer to what? So the that year was from 2000? like, yeah. So that was like when spinning, spinning around. around, yes. Right. So spinning yeah. around was that big turning point for her. Mm. And mm. like on a night like this, and like that was pop. Yeah, and then yeah, that yeah. next album, Fever, she really embraced that pop even more. And that's when she had the biggest hit of her career with "Can't Get You Out of My Head." Oh yes, good song. Because that was her, you know, big American hit as well. Yeah. Besides locomotion. Yeah. But back to this song. Yes, yes, sorry. <laughs> I've, been, I've, been, but I've been thinking a lot about that and, you know, Kylie Minogue and, and it was just that that was that point of her career. So, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Nick Cave as well. He, I mean, what a career he's had. He's been around for years and years. I think he's got 17 studio albums recorded. Yeah. Um, we did talk about him last year on the, on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Very unique voice as well. Stunning voice, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And what a great idea for an album this was as well. It was called Murder Ballads and it's a collection of narrative songs that each tells the tale of a murder. Yeah. I found myself thinking about that, reading about this, because this was also inspired by um, a, a The Willow Garden. Yeah, yeah, traditional song I've never heard of, but um, where a protagonist murders a beautiful young girl down by a river. And I wondered, is this like romanticising <laughs> that kind of... But violence, we, which in we, today's day and age doesn't really fly. Like oh, no, we wouldn't we, want to we glorify. Still, we still do. I mean, if you look at the controversy at the moment surrounding Dharma, the mm. uh, Ryan Murphy series starring yeah. uh, the gorgeous Evan Peters, who should be my husband. Um, <laughs> if you're listening. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's been said that that's been glorifying his mass murders. And, and, and we do romanticise murder. It's just something that we do. Do we? Yeah. Yes. Horror films are all about romanticising and glorifying murder. Yeah. Sweet, sweet murder. <laughs> Dark. <laughs> you know, I say writing a horror novel at the moment. You no, know. that's true. How is that all going? Going well, going well. I'm, I'm enjoying it. So uh, hopefully out next year sometime. Nice. Sorry, <laughs> slight segue. Uh, so, 1996 ARIA Awards. We're going to talk about them a bit today. Oh, yes. So, this one, Single of the Year, Song of the Year and Best Pop Release. That did really well. Really yeah. well. Yeah. Pop release. It's not really a poppy type song, is it? I guess just because you put Kylie Minogue in there, they're yeah. like, yeah, no, it's totally pop. <laughs> uh, and it's not. She came more to his... Side that he went to hers. Yeah, yeah. Which is what I think she wanted. So, Absolutely. Um, it was a beautiful film clip too. Oh, stunning music. And she looked incredible. Yes. That red hair was just lovely. Yes, gorgeous. And the rose in her mouth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and just, the, yeah, and her vocals were just so sweet. Yeah. As opposed to his, his, you know, that rough deep, vocal of Nick yeah, Cave. And it just, yeah. 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 As, as I said before, it was sort of a perfect storm. It shouldn't have worked but it just worked on so many levels. Yeah. They've performed this live together on stage a few times too. I think the last time might have been 2018 where she made a surprise appearance during one of his um, concerts at a festival. Uh, yeah. So it's been fun to see. So clearly she is still a fan of it. Yeah. Um, And in many of her shows she does it as well. She often does it as a medley. She's done it a few times uh, with Red-Blooded Woman. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Which, you know, fantastic. And on the Golden Tour, she presented a member of the audience with a single red rose. Cute. (laughs) Yeah, like, you like the song, I do, I do. Yeah. 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 She's even sung it with, um, uh, with Coldplay. Oh, wow. Yeah. I can't imagine that would be as good as Nick Cave. No, it? no, but yeah. still, you know, it would have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But you like it as well? Of course. I liked it even back then when I was, yeah, young. Yeah, I bought the CD single. Yeah. Yes. All right, let's move on to number four, and I'm guessing Emma won't like this one. It's just a, you know, just a guess. Oh. It is Tokyo Ghetto Pussy and I Kiss Your Lips. Come on, no! I kiss your lips. The song reached eight in Australia, five in the Netherlands and 55 in the UK. You don't know me at all, Wayne. <laughs> so you're going to tell me, after your hatred of Eurodance, that this is the one of Eurodance song you I like? I actually really, really like this song. I always have. When I saw this, I was like singing it in my head. I'd totally forgotten about this song existing. I love the chorus. Like, I love that melody. It it's is so a catchy cute. tune, isn't yeah. it? I'm all about it. Wow. Mm. This was kind of the early days, you know, that ding, 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 ding. It, it was the early stage the, of techno, yeah. I, I quite enjoy it like this wow. rather than their other hit because I was surprised to find out these guys did um, that Ride in the Night As song. As Jam and Spoon. I didn't yeah. know until we started researching that Jam and Spoon and Tokyo Ghetto Pussy were the same thing. Yeah, yeah, neither did I. Whereas I had Ride in the Night. Is one of my favourite Eurodance songs ever. See, so I would, I, I prefer that, but I like this. Yeah, I don't like that, and yet I like this. Yeah, I like the You're different. A, a woman of contradictions <laughs> and mystery, Emma Louise. 
<laughs> no, I really, really enjoy this song. Um, I think one of the really interesting things is that they were German and this song only got to 94 in Germany. Yeah, weird. What's going on there? Um, yeah, and so the only place where it was a hit essentially was here and the Netherlands. Yep. Yep. Which really, that's, yeah, that's really, uh, like not even Weird. UK, I would have thought that this would have been something that would have been popular there. Yeah, in the clubs. Um, and even their first song, Everybody on the Floor, Pump It, which was great too. Everybody, everybody on, on the, the floor, floor, everybody yeah, 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 on yeah. the floor. That got that. to six here, um, didn't chart in the Netherlands, but got to five in um, Belgium, uh-huh. uh, 14 in New Zealand and 26 in the UK. Again, Germany, only 81. Yeah, right. Was that done under the name Tokyo, Tokyo Get, Get a, a Pussy, Pussy as well? Yes, yes. Yeah, cause they gone... only released three singles. Right. Because they've gone under the name Jam and Spoon. That's their most popular. Like, yeah. They've done mostly. But Tokyo Ghetto Pussy and also Big Room. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know anything Big Room. Big room. Yeah. But, yeah, if you look at their biggest success, it was Right in the Night, which went to two in Australia, one in Finland, ten in the UK, uh, six in Germany. So it, it, it was a bigger song. Yeah. And Jam and Spoon was essentially just one guy, really, wasn't it? Mark? No, a duo. No, it's a duo. Oh, was it? Yes. Rolf Ehrman and Marcus LaFell. Oh, sorry, of course. There it is, Rolf. Yeah. Yeah. Who went by Jam Elmar and Mark Spoon. That's right. And they had other pseudonyms too as credits on their albums. Um, They had, I think, Trancy Spoon. Spacer and Spacey Trancer or something. <laughs> <laughs> Great names. They were having some fun, I reckon. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and also apparently there was another pseudonym they went under, not just uh, Jam and Spoon, Tokyo, Get a Pussy and Big Room. There was also Storm. Storm? Okay. Yes. Hmm. There you go. Uh, they were formed in Frankfurt in 1991 originally. Yeah. Unfortunately, one of the duo, Marcus Loff... Lofel, Lofel, sorry about the pronunciation. He died of a heart attack um, back in 2006. Only only 39 years old as well. So another one taken far too young. Yeah. Yeah. But um, the music's still living on because even as um, recent as September 2020, there was a Dutch DJ trio, Yellow Claw, apparently teamed up with... um, the remaining member, I guess, of Tokyo Get a Pussy to release a remastered version of this very song. I love how you just said in a very posh voice, Tokyo Get a Pussy. <laughs> how do you want me to say it? <laughs> Tokyo Get, get a, a Pussy. pussy. Yeah. <laughs> Tokyo Get a Pussy. <laughs> Don't make fun of my well-spoken Australian. Uh, it was just suddenly giving me very Anita Wiglet uh, snatch game in RuPaul's Drag Race Down Under vibes. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. Hot. Um, but yeah, fun song, and it certainly takes me back to that period of time. Like, I just do think I, I remember buying the CD single and just playing it a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like the film clip too. The yeah, little, the animation, the sort of anime yeah. stuff. The yeah, Japanese. Yeah, yeah. It's very cool. All right, let's move on to our next song, and it is another Australian one. It's CDB and their cover of "Let's Groove." It reached two in Australia and one in New Zealand. I remember this being big in Australia. Oh, I'm guessing from your tone you didn't like it. No, I liked it. I don't love it. But, you know, it's it's catchy. It was everywhere. I think they did better songs. I actually own a few of their albums. Actually, I own three of their albums. I really like CDB. Uh, I think this is a great cover and I was really happy for them that it became a big hit. Because I think they deserve to have a big hit because they're very talented gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, evidently. They've, um, well, when they first got together, when did they form? Like in 1991, I think, down in Melbourne. And then um, it didn't take too long. I think a few years later they were performing with Peter Andre, was it, when he was supporting Madonna on her girly show tour. So So I would have been there to watch Ah, them. Ah, very good. Uh, Because I saw girly show in Sydney. Okay. Wrote a whole play about it, yeah. Yeah, well, yes, indeed. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, so they yeah they, they signed with Sony in '94. So three years of, of hard work for the yeah. boys, and they uh, signed with uh, Sony. And you know, and, and Sony sometimes doesn't do right by artists, but uh, clearly did right for the, by them for that small amount of time. They had some big hits. Yeah, totally. And it was great that they also you know had hits in New Zealand as well. Mm. Um, which, you know, fantastic that they got both of those territories. Mm. So CDB actually stands for Central Dandenong Boys. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. So okay. a Dandenong is... A region of Melbourne, isn't it? It's, it's on the outskirts of suburbia. So yeah. it's very working class. There's a lot of... In, it's a big industrial area. So working class area. So, yeah, working class boys working really hard. Andrew De Silva, who still tours and does a lot of stuff to this day. Didn't he join Boom Crash Opera or something? I don't know. I'm pretty sure I read that he actually joined Boom Crash Opera. In 2016, as a member of that band. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brad Pinto and his brother Gary Pinto. Gary, of course, has had a lot of success as well on his own. And Danny Williams uh, were the the four boys. Mm. Mm. Because it was sad in 1997, I think, wasn't it? It was De Silva that had to take a break from the band for cancer treatment. Yeah. Which um, would have been difficult. But thankfully, he got through that. Yeah. Did they sort of do a lot more stuff together after that? I don't think... Um, they did release another album after that in their initial sort of guys together. Yeah. Um, and, yes, yeah, so in 1997, uh, Jude Nicholas joined the group replacing Andrew De Silva, who needed to re- receive cancer treatment. Yeah. Uh, so then they released an album in 97, Lifted. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Which didn't do as well, but had some really great songs. Back then, Let It Whip. Uh, was great. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, and, you know, they've managed to collaborate with people like Tommy Emmanuel and Renee Gayer, who we had on the uh, yes. uh, show yes. a few weeks ago. Uh, they disbanded in 99, but then they did reform um, not that many years ago. 2006, it says. Yeah, they yeah, they did it. a cover album of 90s R&B songs, which obviously I bought. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really good. Because I remember that came out just after I saw Guy Sebastian perform. And one of the gents was backing singer. I think it was Gary Pinto was a backing singer for Guy Sebastian and sang one of the songs at the Guy Sebastian gig. Oh, okay. He sang End of the Road, Boys to Men. Because Gary Pinto has a long history with Australian Idol, doesn't he? He was yeah. a, like a vocal coach. On Mentor and Australian I think, Idol, and, yeah. And the X Factor as well. So, yeah. yeah. And so 1996 ARIA Awards. I promise we talk about them quite a bit. Ah, uh, yes. At those awards, this song won the highest selling single category. Nice. Because, in fact, this was the, ho- the eighth highest selling song in Australia in 1995. Wow, yeah, it was big. It's a good cover. I prefer this to the original. Okay, well, mm. some people might find that hate speech, but no. Nah. The original only got to 15 in Australia. It did better in other countries, but the original Earth, Wind and Fire song only got to 15 here in Australia. Yeah. But Earth, Wind and Fire, great group. A lot of great songs over the years. Totally. Yeah. Cool. All right, that's CDB. All right, let's move on to our number two and let's just keep on the Australian route. It's Tina Arena. Wasn't it good? Wasn't it? The song reached 11 in Australia. Is that all? Yeah, and I'm also surprised it didn't chart in other places considering her success. But Yeah, yeah. she she would have had a following overseas by this stage. Yeah, yeah oh, well, because Chains was massive. Yeah. So. Um, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is my favourite Tina Arena song of all time. You know what? It's probably mine too. That's not saying much because you're not a big fan of it. Well, no, it's not that I'm – I think she's got a great voice. She's obviously a great artist. Um, But, yeah, I'm not that into her music. But this is a beautiful song. Yeah. Whereas I am, like, I'm a big fan. I've seen her in concerts, um, been to a shopping centre to – actually, this album, (laughs) Don't Ask, I got this autographed at Blacktown West Point Shopping Centre. 
I lined of course up. Course you did. I lined up, met Tina. I can't believe she was doing shopping centre signings. Well, because the album before hadn't gone that big. Yeah. And it wasn't that big. It was moderately big. And then this came out. And I think it was just as a change was starting to get big. So they took her on the road. And it clearly worked because it was like Mm. a ridiculously big album. Mm. That album, Don't Ask, she was the first solo female artist to win Best Album at the Australian Arias. Really? Yeah. First ever? Yeah. That's, wow. And then Natalie and Brulee did it, I think. Quite quickly after that, it would have been ninety seven or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then so this year, nineteen ninety six, the ninety five is when she did really well at the Arias, mm-hmm. and then ninety six she was nominated for three of the awards that the three awards that Kylie just won: uh, <laughs> single of the year, song of the year, and best pop release. Yeah, and she was beaten to best female artist by Christine Arnu, another great Aussie artist. Ah, uh, yes, yes. But she won highest selling album that year. Okay. Yeah, look, we've discussed Tina before. What what more can we say? She's won so many awards. She's massive over in France um, as well as here and got her start on Young Talent Time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we talk about her achievements. So between 95 and 96, she was nominated for 10 ARIA Awards, won five. Yeah. Uh, she's earned several international and national awards, including a Brit Award. Seven arias in her career, two World Music Awards for Best Selling Australian Artist in '96 and 2000. Uh, in 2001, she was awarded a BMI Foundation Songwriting Awards by the American Performance Rights Organization. Um, in 2011, she became the first Australian to be awarded a knighthood of the French National Order of National Merits. They love her over there. Yeah. <laughs> and she's been given an Order of Australia medal as well for her services to music and entertainment. Here. Yeah, and she was entered into the ARIA Hall of Fame in 2015. Yep. Quite the career for yeah. little, what was her name? Filipina Lydia Arena was yeah. her original name. Yeah. I find that Young Talent Time actually made her change her name. To Tina Arena because back then they wanted to be more relatable to the wider Australian audience. Anglify it. And, yeah, the minority of ethnic diversity back then, it, yeah, it just – it's a shame. It wouldn't happen now. No, it wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it is a shame. Uh, yeah, and she became tiny, tiny Tina. Yeah, yeah. But still, yeah, she obviously likes the name because it's stuck. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and you know, and and I think we mentioned a couple of weeks ago when we were doing Danny Minogue. Uh, Danny and Tina are probably the biggest stars to come out of, of international stars to come out of yeah. Young Talent Time. Tina's the longest serving Young Talent Time. I thought it was Danny, but no, Tina was the longest serving. Yeah, because she was pretty young when she got on there, and then she was all the way yeah until to they sixteen. Throw them out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so harsh. Hi, throw you're out 16. At sixteen. Get Bye. off national television. <laughs> Poor things. Yeah. Anywho. She's done well. She has. And, yeah, great song. All right, let's move on to number one. And this is a big bit different. Mm. It is The Beatles and Free as a Bird. The song reached six in Australia and the US, two in the UK and one in Scotland. Ah, six here. I do not recall this song ever. As like, It's like I only heard it for the first time earlier this week. There you go. Yeah, and I love it. <laughs> um, well, because it was probably in the wrong age. Like I remember it wasn't cool for young people when it came out. Yeah, right. In here in Australia anyway. Yeah. Um, it was it was very much you know the your parents were buying it and, yeah and, yeah well because it's the Beatles man I mean I love yeah. the Beatles yeah. who doesn't love the Beatles their yeah. music has but they, they I, changed music yeah, yeah 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 but I think it's something that you grow to appreciate if you would have asked me when I was younger about the Beatles it was my parents' music whereas this, this is me personally yeah. talking whereas as an adult I grew to appreciate them got their work listened to them still listen to them love what they did and understand. 
how incredibly important they are to music. Yeah. See, I did listen to quite a bit of Beatles back, I mean, probably because through my parents, but I remember enjoying listening to the Beatles, the White Album and stuff. We had it on vinyl and I would play it. Um, So it's bizarre, yeah, that I just missed that this song ever existed. Yeah. Um, And what a gift that that it was because John Lennon obviously made these recordings, I think it was back in 77. Yeah. So a few years before he was um, killed. And uh, Yoko agreed to release this demo to the other Beatles the day after he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I think, you know, a lot of people criticise Yoko and just say that she was there for the cred and and whatever. But, you know, she was very protective of of John after he died. Yes. And his legacy. Yes. Um, So it was one of the rare things that she actually said, hey, no, let's, let's do this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, she didn't authorise much to... Yeah. But it's and, nice that she did this. And it was so expertly executed. Uh, mm. Jeff Lynn of ELO, the Electric mm. Light Orchestra, he was the one that produced it and had a hard job because John's vocals and the piano track were mixed together. Well, on one, yeah. How do you... You couldn't separate them, really. No. No, so he's had yeah. to do all of that. Yeah. Apparently he was quite nervous about it and was, like, locking himself in the recording room, like, till 3 a.m. or whatever because he didn't want to do it in front of, you know, George and Paul. And stuff. Yeah. It would be nerve-wracking. Yeah, then- and even though he'd worked with them before, like Ringo and George both played on ELO's 2001 album Zoom, or that happened afterwards. But, uh, of course, he was in uh, The Travelling Wilburys with George Harrison. Oh, of course he was. Yeah. Oh, I keep forgetting that he was in The Travelling Wilburys. Yes, yes, yes. Um. It's such a pretty song. It really is. It is. It is a, a, a lovely song, and it it really did help the band. They had the Beatles. Incredibly, had only won four Grammys <gasps> up until this song, and after this song, they had won seven. I know they got best pop performance by a group, uh, best music video short form, and anthology won the best music video long form. Yeah. So yeah. Good on them. Yeah. <laughs> Almost yeah, yeah, doubled yeah. their Grammy wins. Um, and, you know, it, it is clear that they had released so much music that they didn't have too much in reserve. So I think that this felt something special and unique. Because mm. uh, if you look at other artists, they have a lot. If you look at the legend of Prince, apparently Prince just like has 3,000 lifetimes worth of songs in his vault. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this for, for the Beatles was something new and unique and, yeah. and just was a real present to everyone and uh you know how lovely that the Beatles came together to to do this yeah yeah the video was great too did you watch it yeah 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 yeah. yeah. I love seeing their little snippets of them in and the cavern club it took me back actually because when I traveled to Liverpool God, many years ago now, I remember it was during the Beatles Festival. They have a Beatles Festival every year. Of course they do. And the Cavern Club is like where they got their start or played heaps of gigs. And it was just 24-7 you'd go in there and Beatles cover bands would just be pumping. It was yeah, yeah. awesome. Uh, and I love they had a bit of fun with it as well. Uh, Paul McCartney has said that they put backwards recordings at the end of the single as a joke to give all those Beatles nuts something to do. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what they say. I'm sure if we, we dive deep enough in the, uh, yeah. the rabbit warren of the internet, we'll yeah, find, we'd that find and out. some things that might disturb us. Oh, dear. Um, but some royalties were donated to Romanian AIDS charities set up by Elton John and the Beatles' wives. So that's really lovely as well. Nice. Just genuinely nice people. Yes. Yes, that love what they do, that love yeah. playing music. I mean, you know, yes, Paul and, Paul and John sometimes... Fought. Yeah, but like brothers do. As you do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just everything you hear about them just seems like genuinely nice people. Whenever I see stuff with Paul McCartney, I just want to be his friend. Yes, yes. Good guy. Yeah. Good guys. So that was our top five for the week. Let us know what your favourite was. This is a flashback. A blast from the past. Yesterday, 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 yesterday. Last time Emma cheated. Uh, <laughs> and chose the dark side of pop, pop. So some indie rock or some goth tunes from the 80s or 90s. Did you love this category, exploring no. this? Oh, come on. No. If I had to do Eurodance, you have to do a bit of indie. Because <laughs> oh, 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 <laughs> it takes all types, hey? Um 
there were a few I could have picked, but I decided to go with Close Up by Nine Inch Nails. Closer by Nine Inch Nails was released as the second single on their second studio album, The Downward Spiral, back in 94. Uh, It's considered probably one of their most popular signature songs and reached number 41 in the US, 25 in the UK and number three here in Australia. Um, Dirty Australians. (laughs) We loved it here. It was actually Australia's 87th most successful single of 1994. Um, And although Closer did not initially appear on Canada's official music chart during its original release, it actually uh, reached a peak of number five there in February 2002. So there must have been something that brought it to Canada in 2002, some movie perhaps or a... TV show or I don't know. Who, who knows? Yeah. They uh, they got it a bit late. And also Denmark didn't chart there until 2007 when it reached number 12. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> there you go. As, it's a damn, as you do. It's a damn good song though. Do you like it? It's okay. Yeah? Like I'm not that big of a fan of it, to be honest. I just think it's really well constructed and like that beat – just, I don't know, it just makes me want to dance, move, I don't know, do something. Oh. <laughs> um, what's his name? Nine Inch Nails was really a solo project, wasn't it? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, you're telling the story. I don't know. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Well, look, I don't know a lot about this. Yeah. In fact, I don't follow a lot of Nine Inch Nails stuff. I don't yeah. own a lot of their music. I just really liked this song. I mean, and they were, they were massive. You know, like yeah. they were one of those bands that people just loved. Like the amount of Nine Inch Nails t-shirts you would see walking around. Um, you know, and I've got a lot of friends who love Nine Inch Nails. So I was just not one of them. I mean, you know, I'm a pop boy and, and this was very removed from what I liked. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I will say, great music video uh, and directed by one of the best music video directors out there, Mark Romanek. Mm-hmm. who also did uh, Lenny Kravitz's great Are You Gonna Go My Way? That's a great clip. Yeah. And one of Madonna's best, Rain. Yes. I thought you'd like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it is a great video clip. It was banned. They've actually made a couple, I think, the original one. You can still see on YouTube and stuff, but yep. it didn't get a lot of airplay because it had, you know, a bit of – sadomasochistic sort of stuff and the the monkey that looked very scared and panicked and tied to a cross. But they assure us that no monkeys were harmed in the making of that video. And they said they had an ASPCA, who must be their version of the RSPCA, RSPCA yeah. uh, representative on the set to ensure the monkey's safety. But still, let's not tie monkeys to crucifixes. Let's not. No, yeah. Apparently the monkey was fine though. I don't know, did they ask it? <laughs> Apparently it got paid more than some of the crew. Yeah, what's money? <laughs> what's money to a monkey? You can buy a lot of bananas, you know. Um, it was a weird sort of a video clip, like set up in, like a, in a mad scientist's yeah. laboratory. It had, yeah, the monkey, the the severed pig's head, the diagram of the vulva, shall we say. Um a lot going on. A lot, a lot going on. <laughs> a lot. Lie. But I loved it. I loved it. And um, Trent Reznor, that was Trent his name. Trent Reznor, there you Trent go. Trent Reznor, thank you very much. He founded Nine Inch Nails back in 1998, actually, uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. He was from Ohio. And did you, sorry, did you say 98 or 1988? 1988. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was going for a while and... Oh, I mean, and they had Nine Inch Nails had a very long career as well. Many, mm. many albums. Mm. Mm. And for a while he actually took a break from Nine Inch Nails instead working on some soundtrack projects. He produced the soundtrack for Natural Born Killers. 
it's fine. He's into that sort of dark yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think. great film that one. Um, did uh, a David Lynch uh, soundtrack for Lost Highway. Are you familiar with that? One hundred percent. I'm at your house right now. What do you mean? That's one of the, one of the famous lines from the film. <laughs> the guy walks up to someone at a party and says, "I'm at your house. I'm at your house right now. Call me." Oh, okay. And he calls his house. He's like, "I told you I'm at your house." Great scene. Awesome. Sorry, lost on me. Yeah. Went totally <laughs> over the top of my head. Speaking of houses, though, he actually bought the house. He lived in the famous LA residence where the Tate. Yes, um, yeah, Charles Manson, uh, yeah. Took place. He really so must be a fan of that glorified, dust. going back to murder. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so true. He caused a bit of controversy moving there, actually. Yeah, and probably mm. welcomed that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. If you're going to make a song like this, you know, you welcome controversy. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I really just dig the song. I'm yeah. so happy we got to put that on our podcast. <laughs> What did you choose, Wayne? Well, I chose a little bit different. And I, yeah. I, I, I probably chose the poppier song from this band. Very famous band. I have chosen The Cure and Why Can't I Be You? Everything you do is simply dreaming. Everything you do is quite delicious. Oh, why can't I be you? Okay, so The Cure definitely fit into the category, but this may have been their most pop song. But no apologies, because it is one of my favourite, if not my favourite, Cure song. Why Can't I Be You was the first single from The Cure's seventh album and their first double album, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. It did only get to 54 in the US, their highest chart position there at the time, but a remix got to eight on the Hot Dance Music Maxi Single Sales Charts. It got to 21 <laughs> in the UK, 16 in Australia and five in Spain. Nice. Yeah, it is a bit poppy. It is poppy. Hey, <laughs> still the cure. Yes. I didn't pick Friday I'm in Love. That is their most pop song. Yeah. Yeah. And we've talked about that before. We, in fact, we've talked about the cure before. We we've have. We've done we them have. as a featured artist and they're a great, very well-loved band. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I just I just love this song and I love the music video and I just, for me, when I think about The Cure and I want to listen to a Cure song, this is the one. Okay. The music video, is that the one with them doing silly things about Yes, yes, can't? slightly rude things in the music video. <laughs> that apparently Robert Smith says wasn't his idea. He blamed the director of the clip, I think. Yes, the obvious phonetic depiction of the word can't was nothing to do with me. <laughs> It's the childish side of Tim Pope's award-winning nature. It seems crass now. We thought it would be seen once, fleetingly, on telly. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> love that cute. Robert Smith often seems like a cranky old man, and I like that for him. A cranky old man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think he's always been a bit of a cranky old man, and I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he said he wrote this sort of saying that he it had come from a particular situation where he was in the middle of a tense discussion and these people around the table were looking at him as if he was going to make some groundbreaking revelation. And he says he thought to himself, good God, why can't I be elsewhere? Why isn't someone else in my place? I would have traded with anyone. I would have preferred to be that guy leaning on the bar than myself. Cranky yeah. old man. Yeah, <laughs> and he's also said the song was written as a keepsake for a 1985 visit to his Peruvian-sponsored child, Aurora. Which I find weird. What? How is that a... Why can't I be you? In, yeah, like, I don't know. Does he want to be her? Unless unless that dinner happened at the... No. Oh, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> but I, I love you often hear... You know, like when I'm on radio and I'm talking about songs and I'll look at cure songs, I often like Robert Smith's like, I never liked this song, I never want it released as a single. Yeah. Like this song, why do people like it? You know... <laughs> So funny. They're quirky. They're the. I mean, yeah, we've talked about them before. Like the, they didn't like flying or something, so they got yeah. the boat over to the other side of the world yeah. to tour. <laughs> so cool. Uh, yeah, but yeah. So the interesting thing about music video is there is so yes. Yeah, so the word can't. They were spelling it out, but it looks like what sounds like the word can't. Yes. Uh, and there was also a pair of lips uh, that was turned sideways. Turned sideways. Yeah. Yep. You yep. can imagine what. That's meant to. Yeah. Yeah. So it said, why can't I, I be, you? be you? Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> um, yeah. 
But the original film clip is nowadays often replaced with the film clip of the remix to the song, which doesn't include this part. Boring. So look at both of our songs uh, getting... Um, yeah, banned from... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But music videos to this day are still being banned. The new Taylor Swift music video has just been banned. Really? Why? Yeah. Oh, the fat scale got banned. The what? The fat scale. I haven't actually seen the music video. I was going to watch it because it was causing controversy and then it's gone now. What's the fat scale? I don't know. Apparently there was a fat scale. I don't know. I'm you, so lost. The fat Is fat that the name of the song? No, no, no. It's anti-hero, but there was like a fat scale. Like she stood on it. I don't know. No, I haven't oh. seen it. I just wow. Know. Now I'm intrigued. I'm, I just you know I just read the snippets on Twitter and then because I, I was going to watch it because it had been banned on Apple Music. I was yeah. like, oh, I should watch it on YouTube. And then I saw something that goes it's now off. banned on YouTube. So. Surely we can find it somewhere. I'm sure somebody'd have it. Send it to us if you've got it. Somewhere. Please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the song was used in the 2007 movie I Could Never Be Your Woman, starring Michelle Pfeiffer and Paul Rudd. I haven't seen that film, Me but neither. I like both those actors. I know it must have been a big yeah yeah <laughs> movie. <laughs> Oh, dear. So during live performances, the Cure often use this song to play around with and incorporate different songs into the performance. So those other songs have included The Love Cats, which is a song that Robert Smith doesn't like, Fly Me to the Moon, Young at Heart, and Out of Touch. Yeah. Love Cats. Yeah, I think that's one of the ones that he just, he hates. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I disagree. Made him a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Let's Go to Bed. He's not a big fan of that one either. Yeah, right. All right, so that has been our choices for classics. Let us know what you would have picked. Emma, I've long said that you've got the right stuff. Yeah. But I don't love the way you turn me on. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> Fair enough. Wasn't aware I did, right? <laughs> New Kids on the Block. NKOTB. Yeah. Are you a fan? I am. I am. I, I think um, I, I probably love the later boy bands more, your your Backstreet and your NSYNC. Yeah. Uh, but do like N, uh, New Kids on the Block. Uh, love their work. I think that they did really well. And, you know, it's because of them that because they ran bands like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys were able to fly. That's right. That's right. The I was a big fan because I was so young and, yeah, I remember being in grade five and grade six and that's when you would dance to these things and put their posters from Smash Hits magazine up with blue tack all over my walls. Yeah. Joey McIntyre, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I was going to marry him one day. There you go. Never did. Joey, if you're listening. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so they'll always hold a special place in my heart. They had those cards as well. Remember the collector cards? Did no, you know? No, oh, they had these no. cards and you'd swap the... Yeah. Oh, that, so they came out in 89, like that's when they got really famous yeah. and that's when my obsession with Madonna took over. Uh, okay. So I was complete team Madonna. Yeah. Everything else blinded me. <laughs> Yeah. But let's hear about them. New Kids on the Block, often initialised as NKOTB, formed in Dorchester, Massachusetts, and consists of brothers Jonathan and Jordan Knight, Emma's favourite, Joey McIntyre, <laughs> Donnie Wahlberg and Danny Wood. New Kids on the Block have sold more than 80 million records worldwide and are offered credit for paving the way for future boy bands. They won two American Music Awards in 1990 and the group have received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yeah, they have. They were created by the um, producer Morris Starr, yeah? And he also created... um, New Edition. New Edition, that's right. Who created some of the biggest legends. Like they created, uh, you know, that's where Bobby Brown started. Yeah. Belbiv DeVoe. Yeah. You know, Ralph Travant. Yeah, some really great artists came out of... uh, New Edition. Yeah, New Edition. And Candy Girl, great song. Yeah, so his collaboration with New Edition apparently ended quite badly, which is why he went on to develop new kids. Yeah. 500 people, over 500 people apparently auditioned. Um, but, yeah, these guys were the five pick. Donnie Wahlberg, I think, was the first. Yeah, and it makes sense. I mean, you know, Donnie is still, you know, a big a big star to this day. He's in a very popular television show. I've never watched that show. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, my dad loves it. I actually enjoy watching as well. Blue Bloods, Tom Selleck. Yeah. His little, brother, his younger brother Mark has kind of taken over star power in that family though, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, Donnie's still you know, doing, doing his thing. Yeah, doing so, his thing. Yeah, and they've got their, uh, their Wahlburgers. Um, that's right, the chain. Well. I wonder if that's any good. I don't know. 
Wild Burgers. Yeah. All right, well, let's have a look at the top five, shall we? Please. At number four, the fourth single from Hang and Tough, eight in Australia, one in Ireland, the UK and the US, it's Hang and Tough. Four was the second single from Step by Step. It reached 16 in Australia, seven in the US, and three in the UK. It's tonight. Three was the fifth single from Hang and Tough. Twenty-two in Australia, four in the UK, and two in the US. It's Cover Girl. Two was the first single from Step by Step. It reached eight in Australia, two in the UK, and one in Canada and the US. It's Step by Step. And at number one, the second single from Hang and Tough, one in Australia and the UK and three in the US, it's You Got It, The Right Stuff. surprise in, in that take was that You Got It The Right Stuff didn't go to number one in the US. Oh, what did you say it got to there? Got to three. Oh. Whereas Hang and Tough got to number one. Yeah, The Right Stuff is a better song. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you it's just a perfect right piece stuff. of pop. Baby. Yeah. Good song. Good yeah. song. And Step by Step. Oh, my God. I love that song. Yeah. That is one that, I remember doing the dance moves to. That's a fun music video as well. Totally. Step one. One, one, one. You, you can, can have, have lots of fun. fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, any surprises there for you? No, no, not really. Yeah, that it was pretty predictable, I think. I, I, I was surprised by Covergirl getting that high. Actually, yeah, yeah, you're right. And I guess because it got to 22 in Australia, so it wasn't Yeah, it wasn't as big. Um, yeah, and, and the song that I would have thought would have made the top five got to six, I'll Be Loving You Forever. Oh, that's another With good Joey's one. With Joey's really high of note. Of course. Joey, full falsetto. Do you reckon you can sing that song anymore? Oh, You'd have to sing it very differently, wouldn't doubtful. you? Because they were really young when they started. I think how old? Joey was only 12. Yeah, so he would have been a little bit older by the time they had done that, but not, True. not too much older. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yes, because they formed in 1984. Yes, which is, yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, and Jonathan <laughs> was the oldest. Uh, yes, 16. At 16. That's right. Danny and Donnie were 15, Jordan 14 and Joey 12. Jordan was a cutie too. Yeah. Oh, good looking boys. Apparently very nice boys as well because they actually, one of their concert writers, you yeah. know how you have your writers, they um, requested a hospitality room for fans' parents and asked that coffee and donuts be served to parents for free or at a minimum charge. So they were obviously wanting to make their teenage fans' yeah. parents comfortable. Uh, isn't that nice? In your face, Mariah Carey. 
Yeah. Nice, nice boys. Yeah, that you know that does seem really, really lovely. So, yeah, they are nice. Let's have a look at the rest of the top ten. So, as I said, six was I'll be loving you forever. Yep. Seven games. Eight, call it what you want. Oh, Nine, yeah. didn't I blow your mind? And ten, if you go away. Oh, I don't remember a couple of those. I'll have to go back and re-listen. It has been a while, I must admit, since I've uh, been mad about the boys. Um, I really love that they got back together and then have just been doing so much. For a while they went on tour with the Backstreet Boys and they were called N-K-O-T-B-S-B. Oh, God. They even released a song, uh, Don't Turn Out the Lights. Oh, dear. I really loved it. it I remember good? buying it. It was okay. a good song. Okay. Um, but, you know, they're having a lot of fun now. So they were doing a mixtape tour. Yep. Um, other performers included Salt and Pepper, Debbie Gibson, Tiffany and Naughty by Nature. Oh, my God. That, that would have been, been like crack to me. I yes. would have loved that show. Yes. Um, and they released a single during lockdown uh, called House Party and it featured Naughty by Nature, Boys to Men, Big Frida and Jordan Sparks. Nice. And then in 2002, they uploaded the music video Bring Back the Time, which featured Salt and Pepper, Rick Astley and On Vogue. Hey. Uh, and that was actually. Have you seen that music video? No. It's really fun. It actually um, it has parodies of eighties music videos, uh, including "Whip It," "Iran," "We're Not Gonna Take It," "Addicted to Love," "Flesh for Fantasy," "Vogue," "Rio," "Mickey," uh, and "Beat It." Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, because I think that's what they are. They're a lot of fun. Yeah. Like, they like to have fun together. Yeah. They often do these cruises where you know people can go on New Kids on the Block cruises. That's awesome. <laughs> wow. Wow. And they obviously, people like them, like other bands and stuff, yeah. like them because they're working with them and, yeah. Yeah. Good nice guys them. and, yeah. you know, still working together. And I think that that's, that's really, you know, really lovely to see. And, you know, 80 million records is not something to sneeze Nothing at. Nothing to sneeze at, indeed. Um, so, yeah, yeah, really, really great group and um, nice guys, good songs. Tops. All right, so next episode. It's episode 70. OMG. So, so that's another special episode. Yes. For episode 60, we did the top music videos of the 80s. Yes. And I did promise that when we got to 70, we'd do top music videos of the 90s. So I can't break my promise. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So we'll talk about great music videos in the 90s. Obviously, my homegirl, Madonna. Is going to feature in there somewhere. Well, Vogue was there. You know, yes. many people say that's her best music video. That was a great uh, one. You know, for me, I love Shakespeare's Sister Stay. Oh, that's a great music video. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's some hate speech. Um, that's the one where she's singing down in the line. Like, yeah, no, I can well, picture And then it. Siobhan comes down as death. Yes. And then they wrestle over the, yeah. the great clip. <laughs> okay. Uh, I reckon that'll make the top ten. Okay. Um, <laughs> any that you can think off at the top of your head? Not off the top of my head. Oh, Kylie's confide in me. Oh, that was great, actually. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Actually, even where the wild roses grow, great music video. Mm. Well. <laughs> anyway, we'll have there's, a think about it. I'm sure it. there's plenty. Yes, we'll have a think about it. We'll do our classics and we'll count down our audience's top ten. Yes, I look forward to it. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.